0: guys for being here. We love having you. And Brian, we always love having you, my friend. So that's great. And so at the end of our service, uh, Stacy and Abe will be out in the lobby, hanging out. And so love to have you stop by and visit with them. And then Stacy recently wrote a book uh, called Flourish. And I think that's out there too. She actually was able to come over here and speak for our women at our coffee talk that we did in September. And so I know many of you gals want to just come by and say thanks again. So thank you guys for being here. We just appreciate you being part of our family all the way from the Bay Area. She's been here, I don't know how many times she's been here, but several times with us in our church. So hey, we're in this last week of the series. Oh my, I just can't believe that it finally is coming to an end. We had nine weeks counting today that we've been there. And so I'm just so glad that you're here today. As we wrap up, maybe this is your first time, and so you really won't have missed a whole lot uh, because this message today speaks to every one of us right where we are. So I just want to invite you, if you grab these message notes like this, that you're going to be able to follow along today. And all the Bible verses we're going to use will be here. We're going to use several today, so it's going to make it easier probably to look here. If you have a Bible, you can open it to Galatians 5. And that's where we're going to be kicking off or starting from. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love to give you one today. So if you'll stop at the bookshelf right over here at the lobby, there's some Bibles there. Just feel free to take one. It's our gift to you. Love to give you a Bible so that you can have one in your home as well. So we've been reading these verses from Galatians 5 beginning of verse 22. And we've done it almost every week. Every week I've spoken anyway. We read these out loud together. So I'm going to invite you to do it again for this last week. Let's read these together. Okay, ready? Go. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And so we've been looking week by week at the fruit of the Spirit. Basically, the idea is this, is that when I choose to live by God's Spirit, follow in the steps of the Spirit, walk with the Spirit, He produces these character traits in us. He's the one that produces these. He's the one that makes these things happen, and they're called the fruit of the Spirit. So once you say yes to Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you, but not only does Holy Spirit come to live inside of you, but he plants the seeds for this fruit, and then Holy Spirit will work through the rest of your life with you to produce this fruit so that as you produce this fruit, you become more and more like Jesus. Now, just so you know, You can come to a list like this sometimes, and you can think, okay, this is just a list of things for me to do to earn God's approval. And I just want to say that's furthest from reality, furthest from the truth. These are gifts you receive because you've already earned God's approval through Jesus Christ. See, he's already earned his approval, so these are just gifts you receive because of him. These fruit des- describe who we're made to be. So if you ever wonder about your identity, you ever wonder really what God wants you to be, this list shows you who he wants you to be, how he wants you to work, how, what he wants to produce in you. And therefore, our goal as followers of Jesus is to just become like we're made to be. So it's not that complicated. Just become who he made me to be, like Jesus in character. And it's our belief, and kind of the premise of the series is this is that we become more like Jesus in our love and our joy and then in our peace and our patience and our kindness and our goodness and in our faithfulness and our gentleness. And in today's self-controls. So we become more like Jesus in this way. We will become influences in culture where these things are not present, where these things are primarily absent. We will stand out in a way for the common good. We will influence culture for the common good. Our world is desperate to see followers of Jesus, as the world would look at people who say they go to church or they follow Jesus, desperate to see people who display these character traits in a way that's tangible, as we've said, and also in a way that's receivable so that people can receive it as well. So we've taken time to look at a description of each fruit in the series, and I just encourage you, if you've not been you know, here, that you would go back and look or listen to some of these, because uh, it's just been mind-warping for me. Uh, as I started this series, I had no idea the depth of this fruit and what it would be that God would do in my heart as we walk through this together. And just want you to know, right up front, when we look again, this is not a list of things that God wants us to do. This is what God wants to do in us. What he wants to do in us. So today we get to the fruit called self-control. And I know that some of you, when you hear that, you're already cringing. Self-control, because in some way you've determined self-control means that you know, you've got all kinds of reasons why you think you're not self-controlled. And I just want to help us out today just by beginning this, um, that I was reading the newspaper a few weeks ago and I ran across this article and the headline says this. It says, Lazy don't despair, you're only human. Okay, so hey, heads up. If you think you're struggling with self control just a little bit, lazy, don't despair, you're only human. And I'll just, you know, I, the authors have written a book, and as they're writing their book, they've talked about they're going back and they've studied uh, the evolution of mankind. And as they've studied the evolution of mankind, they realize that we get our propensity towards laziness, which would be lo- not a, a lack of self control, laziness. From our ancestors. So see, we have someone to blame for everything, okay? So we get it from our ancestors. As we look back, basically what they said is this, is that in, uh, when our ancestors were uh, hunting and getting the food that they needed, that, that it was scarce and they didn't have all the you know tools that we had to get food today. So it was a lot of work for them to get food. So that they would work to get food, they would eat it, and then they would rest until it time, came time again to need to get food They'd get it, they'd eat it, and they would rest. And so they built into us, through evolution, this need to rest. And so what they're saying is, is that when it comes to work, what we lean toward most often as human beings is laziness, okay, laziness. So when we come to an escalator, or there's a stairs and an escalator side by side, that 90% of the people will take the escalator as opposed to the stairs because we have this built-in propensity for laziness. So okay, some of you are freed up today, right? And okay, I don't have to be self-controlled at all because I can just be lazy. Uh, But that's not what we want. So right in front, let me just say, this message again is not a message about trying harder because honestly, when I came to this, this has been such a struggle for me this week about this message because self-control Well, that's kind of an oxymoron as we look at what God did through the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us in this idea of self-control. It just doesn't come from us. It comes from him. The Holy Spirit is the one who produces this fruit. So honestly, it doesn't help when we engage in kind of self-help projects to help us be transformed in some way or an approach to transformation. It it doesn't develop. Self-control doesn't develop through our own effort, our own willpower, but through the dependent obedience to what God says. So I'm just going to begin, as I have every week, with a definition that's going to help us a little bit. Maybe you can take a piece of this and chew on it this week. I'm really going to refer to one part of it, mostly in the service today. But self-control is this, to take authority over oneself and exercise discipline in order to love God and people. Uh, We're going to really primarily camp on that part today. The ability to say yes to the important while saying no to self. That makes sense, doesn't it? Say yes to the important by saying no to self. The ability to choose the important thing rather than the urgent thing, because we can get caught up in the urgent and we can miss the important. And then the last one is this, to make decisions against yourself. I got this idea from uh, reading Uh, a writing by Jack Hayford, Pastor Jack Hayford, uh, Church in a Way, Van Nuys, down in the LA area, uh, that he's the one that actually coined this phrase, to make decisions against yourself, to make decisions against ego, to make decisions against your desires, to make decisions against what comes naturally, to make decisions against the urgent in order to live for the important, and then that requires denying our self-wolfiness. So I guarantee you, if you decide to li- to run a marathon, you have to make a decision against yourself because your decision for self would probably be to sit on the couch, right? But if I'm going to run a marathon, I have to make a decision against that. If, I'm going to ha- if you're going to have sick-pack abs like I do, then I guarantee... <laughs> Why are you laughing? (laughs) Like I wish I had. Now that, okay, you're going to have to make decisions against yourself, and you're going to have to go to the gym instead of going to the donut shop, okay? Just a decision against yourself. My brother retired early. Well, my brother had to make decisions against himself when it came to his finances and how that he managed his wealth. That he actually he was able to came to. Him. If you decide you're going to get a PhD, for instance, you have to make a decision against yourself when all your friends are out playing, when they've gotten jobs and they're doing their thing, and then you've got just digging your way through school, you're having to make decisions against yourself to get this PhD. I just say if you're gonna have a great marriage. You have to make decisions against yourself because when we come to marriage, most of us come in there like we're one our needs are going to be met because we're married. But you have to make decisions against yourself that come, that you would meet the needs of another person. So here's why self control is so important. Dave read this verse to us earlier, Proverbs 25. A man without self control is like a city broken into and left without walls. I think that's self explanatory. In the day the New Testament was written, that uh, you would have these small city in uh, sometimes city-states, and so in order to be, you know, there was a lot of marauders and pirates, and they would come and try to take their stuff away, and so in order to keep your stuff safe, you would build a wall around your city, and you were safe as long as your wall was okay, but if your wall was broken down or got a hole in it, you were not safe any longer, and he's saying, if you, have, if you don't have self-control, you're like a city without walls. You've opened yourself up to tragedy, to danger, and even disaster, and so how do we do this? If self-control is so essential to our vitality, to our confidence and freedom of life, how do we do it? Well, look at what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone would come after me, notice it's a choice, if anyone would come, it's a choice, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So it's kind of some ideas here that he's saying. He's saying that if you're going to follow Jesus, if you're going to move into this whole idea of self-control, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your self-will or your willfulness. You have to believe that living life as a follower of Jesus is the best way to live. And then you have to deny your self-willfulness as you submit yourself to him. So self-control is not something you do by yourself. So we're not talking again about self-help today. Self-help says, hey, fix it yourself. Self-control says, I can depend on God to do it, so I'm going to trust him. So I deny myself, and then I take up my cross. Now, when Jesus spoke these words, take up my cross, he was very familiar with uh, a cross and what it was used for. It wasn't a piece of jewelry that you wore. It wasn't a symbol. Uh, a cross was a tool, and instrument of death, death. And so when he's saying, take up your cross, he's not saying, hey, take up a burden He's not saying that at all. So any of you think that he's saying that, he's not saying he's saying die. He's saying die to yourself. Die to me and the life I want to give you. And so it's about dying to self. It's actually surrender. To God. is surrendering to him. So in our definition, we said that uh, self-control is when we say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. That's what we're talking about here is I'm dying to self. Okay, with that in mind, how do you grow in self-control? Just three ideas today. First one is this. I focus on the purpose of God. I focus on the purpose of God. If I'm going to gain self-control, so what is the purpose of self-control? What is the goal that God has in mind for me? And so Paul, that we're going to read here from these verses in 1 Corinthians 9, he uses running a race as a metaphor or an analogy uh, that as he knew that everyone in his day would understand it clearly, and I believe everyone in our day also understands it clearly because we all know that if an athlete is going to compete at the highest level, she or he is going to have to make decisions against self, Right? There's going to be constant decisions against self. Here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Underlined, receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. So very, very focused in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we who were shooting for so much more, an imperishable wreath. So I did not run aimlessly. I did not box as one beating the air, but I disciplined my body. We're going to talk more about this as we go through our talk today. I disciplined my body, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So the athlete that he's picturing here, or the athlete that may be in your mind, is self-controlled and disciplined because that athlete realizes that Self-control and discipline and being the best she or he could be at the moment of the race is the only thing that that person has that is going to set them apart from everyone else who is also working hard. So the harder I work, then the more I'm able to be set apart. And they do this so that they can win the prize, so they can be given the wreath as a winner. Now, he's saying that to draw attention to this whole idea that, folks, the spiritual life is a race. And we're all called to practice discipline. We're all called to practice that. And that discipline is so that we not just run the race, so that we not just finish the race, but that we win the race. He's called us to be winners for him. And he's talking about perseverance. And it takes, it takes an amazing amount of self-control to run the race and to finish the race. But, it, but if I'm going to win the race, it takes even more amounts of discipline and self-control and it's critical because winning the race matters so much. So self-control is the ability to choose the important rather than the urgent or what may be appealing at the moment. So what is God's purpose? What is God's purpose? Okay, I'm running a ra- running this race, this spiritual race. Let's take it into what the spiritual part here. What is the purpose? Well, Jesus was He was probably walking one day, and a man came up to him and tried to trap Jesus by asking him a question. He said, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? And Jesus said to that man, well, the most important commandment, because they had 613. And Jesus said, well, the most important commandment is this, that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, and that you would love your neighbor as yourself. And in doing that, when Jesus said this is the most important commandment, Jesus also said this is the most important purpose for which you can give your life to. Loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And loving your neighbor as you love yourself. So the life of a follower of Jesus is to be marked with an others-centered approach. First to God, to love God with everything I have all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, and all my strength, and to love others as I love myself. Self-control is what allows me to get to the place where I can place God above myself. Get to the place where I can place others above myself. It's the power that helps us to guard what we love most. Self-control helps me to protect that which I love. Self-control is the ability to say, I know where I'm going, I have my focus, I have my goal, And then what I'm going to do is because loving the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving my neighbor as myself is my top priority, then I'm going to say no to anything else that competes to that. No to anything that competes. Now, Kim and I re-reached a milestone in the beginning of October. Uh, We've now, as of the beginning of October, we've now served this church and served this community, served you for 25 years. So we reached this milestone in the 1st of October. And it was amazing. Uh, We had a lot of time to reflect about this. And I'll just tell you this. A person only makes it 25 years in one church, one community, by making decisions against self. So we're going to get decisions against self. See, one of the decisions we made against ourselves, and uh, this happened when we were first deciding whether we would come here or not, that we sat in a living room. And with six other families, six other couples, and as we were sitting in that living room, they were talking to us about coming here to help start Twin Cities Church, and they asked us this question. They said, well, what we would like is if you were to come here, is that that you would come here and stay for the rest of your ministry. I'm 35 at the time, 37, and as 35, 35 at the time, and so they're saying, we would love for you to stay here for the rest of your lives. And so Kim and I prayed about it, and we talked about it, and that we said, yes, that we will give our lives to one church, one community, uh, our entire ministry, unless God were to choose otherwise. And, you know, God's sovereignty, he could always say something different, but we said yes. Well, that commitment that we made that night, when we said yes to that, that we will not leave Twin Cities no matter what, I'm telling you, that has allowed us to face times when it's been discouraging. It's allowed us to face times when it's been difficult. It's allowed us to face times when I've made mistakes and it would be easier just to probably go away. It's made, It's allowed us to face, time, uh, face times when we've been hurt. And once again, it would just be easier to walk away. It's allowed us to face times when uh, we would maybe get restless. uh, And it's just in my personality to get restless. And so when I would hit those moments of restlessness, I would just say, we've made a commitment. We've chosen to make a decision against self. And that decision against self is is that we will stay here for as long as God would lead us. Now, that's just not normal. If you know that, you know, Dave Bull, we just celebrated 20 years for him and Michelle being here. He and Michelle being here. Now, we celebrated that. And it's just not normal for pastors to stay that long in one place because, honestly, it's probably easier. I don't know if I've I've not tried this yet, but it's easier probably in many ways because you just, you know, you have, you know, five years worth of messages. You move somewhere else, you recycle them, you know, you move somewhere (laughs) else and you recycle them. You have relationships that worked, and then all of a sudden they're not working. You're like, well, hey, I'm going somewhere else, and I'm going to form new relationships. And so, But you know what? We made a decision against self. And that decision against self has paid off huge dividends for us and our family. And that's what I'm talking about here. It's about a higher purpose. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor yourself. If you're going to make every decision with that as your purpose, then you're going to die to self in a lot of other areas and ways. Look at what he says in uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, he says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. So I'll just stop and say, you know what? It's okay. You know, nobody else had to make the commitment we made. Uh, and it's okay if a pastor comes and he's there two years and, you know, God says move and he moves or he moves two years and he moves and God, it's okay if that happens. That's lawful. That can actually happen. But he says not all things are helpful. So making that kind of move, being that kind of, you know, kind of, uh it creates instability in both the church and pastors' lives, and so it's not helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up, so not all things are beneficial. So there are things in your life that you would say, okay, this is permissible. This is lawful, so I'm going to engage in this. What I would just say this, if you're engaging in things that aren't going to allow you to be able to, in your heart and your mind, to this priority, this purpose, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbors, yourself, it's probably not from God. You just need to chew on this. It's not beneficial. It's not helpful. He wants us to be engaged, not in things that we may think are permissible that we can engage in because they fulfill our needs, but he wants us to engage in things that are helpful and will build others up. Okay, second idea is this. I grow in self-control as I submit to the grace of God. Oh, I really struggled with how to verbalize this one, how to put it, but I'm going to stay with this since that's what's on your screen. Uh, submit to the grace of God. And I just want you to walk with me here because it's gonna take some work to be able to understand what I mean by submit to grace because so many of us, we think that grace is you know, this free gift and it's this wonderful thing and that it changes me and I just want more and more grace. Well, there's a harder side to grace I want us to look at today. And so let's look in Titus chapter two. It says this, for the grace of God has appeared... So there it is. The grace of God has appeared. The grace of God appeared how? Through Jesus. So he's talking about Jesus. Jesus came, the grace of God came, bringing salvation for all people. Now, here is what grace does, the harder harder side of grace. I received Jesus by grace, and now this is what grace does. It trains us. Does that sound like fun, training? No, because we're wired for what? laziness. So it doesn't sound fun for train training to trains us to renounce ungodliness. So it's going to require effort to renounce things that are ungodly and my worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright means I'm going to be have to be changed because I guarantee you when I came to know Jesus I wasn't upright uh, and now I'm going to be trained to become upright and that uh, I'm going to live a godly life life in the present age. And so this is a challenge for us, folks, because in our age right now, if you look at Christianity, we're being pulled more and more and more away from what I would call the biblical mores into the cultural standards in the way we live and the decisions we make. Waiting for what? Our blessed hope. Is it easy to wait? No, it takes grace to wait. And the blessed hope is what? Jesus coming back again and that all of the fulfillment of everything, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Purifying is not easy. It's not easy. But grace purifies it. It's the power to make us into something pure. So the grace of God fuels me as I make decisions against myself so that God can now use that decision as part of what he is doing with his grace and his empowerment to make me more like Jesus. So we don't, we're not growing in this fruit by our own effort. It's not under our own willpower. It's not through self-help that we're going to grow in this way. It's through the complete reliance of the Holy Spirit to do the work. Now, I kind of alluded to this, is that so many times we look at grace and we think grace is soft. Because, honestly, um, is that, you know, we want to give everybody grace. And so uh, that we then accept behaviors that uh, we know are not right, but, oh, we want to give people grace. Or we know that we need grace, and so we'll overlook things in a certain way. I uh, recently ha- got to hang out with a guy uh, and uh, for an entire day, uh, first time I'd met him. Uh, actually got to be on the Sacramento River, have a great time uh, fishing. And so the, the guide, the person who helped us fish that day, uh, he, when he found out he was a pastor, of course, he wanted to talk about church uh, and Christianity. And he talked about the church he went to. And he says this about the church he went to. It's not anywhere close to here, okay? So just, that's okay. He says, I love my church, and I love that they talk about grace, but that's all they talk about. And then he said this, there has to be a place for action. And I'm like, oh my, he's so right. There has to be a place for action. And I would say, maybe I've been guilty in the past of just talking about grace, 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 and forgetting the part about what grace actually requires and what God wants to do to us through grace and do in us through grace that's hard and not easy. So what Paul's saying to Titus and to us is that, when you submit to grace, you're submitting to training, and you're submitting to being part of what he wants to do in you, and it's all through grace, okay? And that leads us to this next idea. Actually, let's look at Philippians 2.13 first. It says this, for it is God who works in you. So it's God, he's doing this, and then what he does is he's working that you would will, and then you would work. And that doesn't sound like laziness to me is that he's working that you would will and work, and that's what grace does. It creates in me this desire to do what's outside of myself so that I can become more like Jesus. Okay, last idea. I grow in self-control as I cooperate with the work of God. I cooperate with what God is doing. So what I did as I was preparing, uh, as I went to all the places in the Bible where it had extended places where it talked about um, self-control... And I pulled those out, and I thought I would just let the Bible and me speak for itself today and allow us to have many different pictures of what self-control means. So I went to Second Peter uh, for this part of the talk, and there's several verses there that will give us an indication about the idea of what God wants to do in us through self-control. Okay, let's begin. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, it's just so rich right there. He's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, there's a whole you know, group, vein, um, stream of Christianity that talks about prosperity and prosperity gospel. This is not speaking that at all. It's not saying that he's given you everything you want, uh, that you can have all the riches in the world. He's saying he's given you everything that pertains to life in him and godliness, okay? Life in him. And he says, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence... By which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that here are the promises, he has, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Underline that, partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. That's what self control does. So when we talk about let's just pause a moment, okay, and I'll come back to those verses. When we talk about becoming who God made us to be, the Bible wants us to know that this is not just a good suggestion, this is not just a good idea, this is an imperative. It's a should. That I should engage in my own spiritual development and my growth to allow Holy Spirit to work the fruit of the Spirit from me. And I'll just say this, the beauty of this for me is it's not just an imperative, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. It is actually possible for you and for me to grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I've loved your emails. I've loved your notes you've sent me as you've wrestled with these fruit as we've dig- as we've dug into them. Many of them went way wider than we ever deeper than we would have ever anticipated, but you've allowed this to say I'm going to engage in what God wants to do in me and through me so that these fruit are actually developed. See, God didn't just throw the fruit of the spirit out and said, "Hey, you should just go do this. <laughs> he didn't do that at all. He, made, he didn't make it tough for us to do it. He actually empowered us to do it and gave us the strength. He said, you should do this. And by the way, I've given you everything you need to do this. So just walk in what I've given you and allow it to change you. I've given you everything you need. Okay, let's go on. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And you just know, might underline make every effort cooperate with God's work, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you, hear this, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As, he, as they are in you, It keeps you from being ineffective. Remember, we said that we want to stand out so that we can influence culture, influence others for the common good. If I'm a follower of Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit are not growing in me so that other people will take notice, then I am ineffective. I'm ineffective as a follower of Jesus. And he calls us to work with him so that we can be fruitful. So he says, if they are increasing, Here's the good news: if they are increasing, I'm effective, and that's what Peter wants us to know, and that's how he wants us to engage. So we trust in Jesus by faith. We're given this new nature. We're given the Holy Spirit, and He does this work as we engage with Him. We are partakers of the divine nature. So, so in the series, I just want to remind you that these fruit, this fruit of the Spirit, that this is who God called us to be. Who he called us to be. Let's make it even more clear. This is who he made you to be. This is who he made you to be, who he wants you to be, and that now he wants you to engage with him so that you become who he made you to be. Let the fruit of the Spirit become who you are known for, because this is a clear description of Jesus Christ and who he was like, who he is like, and who he will always be. This is Jesus. But no one will see him unless we engage. Unless we allow ourselves to be changed. Now I have a story I think will illustrate this. Most of you know the name John Wooden, of course. John Wooden, UCLA basketball coach, very famous, you know, years of national championships, all that he did. Uh, prolific writer uh, on leadership, and uh, just one of the most disciplined men, uh, I think, that has ever coached. Well, he also was a follower of Jesus, and uh, I, and he really did stand out for Jesus in all he did. One time, uh, Coach Wooden, a reporter, came up to him after a particularly challenging game where the officials had made some bad calls against his team And where his team had made some really silly mistakes that actually cost them the game. And the reporter came up and said, how do you keep your cool? How do you refrain from cussing out the officials or cussing out your players when things were so stressful? And Coach Wooden answered the reporter and said quite candidly, he said, well, I have the same emotions as every other coach. But he said this, in my pocket... I keep a tiny silver cross. And when I feel myself ready to lose control or get too intense during a game, I reach in my pocket and I hold onto that cross. And it reminds me that there's something more important than winning games. And the reporter said, oh, it's like a good luck charm. (laughs) And Wooden said, no, not at all. The cross serves a reminder. It is a reminder to me of what is most important. And folks, as we end the series, we have to remember that all that we've talked about in the fruit of the Spirit, the living of the fruit of the Spirit, is not just so that we have better lives. It's so that as we live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that people are drawn to the cross of Jesus. Because the cross of Jesus is not just Piece of jewelry or a good luck charm. It's the most important thing in life that we can experience. And so we go back to the verse then that we started in the series in John 15, verse 8. John 15, 8. Jesus says these words. He says, By this my Father is glorified that you, say it out loud with me, bear much fruit. Bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Jesus said, People. See me when you live lives guided by the Spirit as you walk in the Spirit and you become like me. Let's pray together. Father, this has been a challenging uh, talk in many ways. And Lord, Holy Spirit, now I pray that you would give the application in each of our minds that we need and uh, for me, making decisions against myself, I've worked with this all week, and I've just seen how just that one phrase has allowed me to truly be different this week. Uh, and uh, in, in when I was having some conflict, uh, when I had a desire that wasn't going to honor you, that just making decisions against myself. So I pray that you would help us to chew on that. I pray that you would remember Coach Wooden's cross in a pocket, And that we remember what is most important. And that we would allow ourselves to be controlled by the Spirit. So that as we are controlled by the Spirit, that we would have the Spirit come out of us. And as He comes out of us, that other people would see Jesus around us. And it will be for your glory, as Jesus said in John chapter 15. And God, I pray that that's the kind of church we would be. I pray that we would not forget this series. I pray that you would help us to continue to think about how we can stand out, how we can influence culture for the common good. I just celebrate you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.